0: turn in your confession again the last chapter chapter 32 the title is of the last judgment let's pray and ask God to bless our time help us learn Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's, it's an honor, God, to know that you gave us your perfect word. There's nothing wrong with it at all, God, and it judges us and it changes us. And Lord, we, uh, we need your help to discern it. God, I pray that you would help us here. God, help those who are away, thinking of uh, Zach and Kelly. I'm thinking of Paul. God, please heal Merit. God, please help Ashley and Stephen. Lord, we miss our members when they're not here. I pray, God, you'll help and heal in all these situations. Please bring Paul home safe. I pray that you'll bless him richly. I pray that he'll be a greater man of God because of what you've done through him and your word that's been put forth. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> I'd like to uh, recap just a bit. It won't be much because it's real simple. The outline last week was uh, real simple. The things that we saw in the first paragraph were the appointed time. This time we saw is appointed by God. It's unavoidable. It's unchangeable. And we'll find out in the last paragraph that we don't know the time. It was delineated the judge of this day, Christ himself. He's a righteous judge. He's alone, qualified to judge. As God and as man, he's qualified to judge man. And as God, he he has set the standard by which we will be judged. The righteous judge is Christ himself. We saw those in attendance on this day. Number one, every person who has ever lived on the earth that has drawn breath. And also the apostate angels. We, we know them commonly as demons. They are rebellious. We saw in the first paragraph the courtroom procedure We saw that on this day, all these people, it's a give and take situation. We will give an account of what? Of thoughts, all the thoughts, all the words, and all the deeds. This is everything we've done while in this body. We're not judged according to give us works, I mean to give us rewards. Many people have distorted this. These deeds reveal... Our spiritual state. Do they reveal it to God? No. God knows our spiritual state. He knows when we got saved. He knows when we would get saved. He knows if we're going to get saved. It's not to reveal it to God. It's to reveal it to all of creation. Later we'll see. It's for God's glory. We give an account. We also receive either eternal life or eternal damnation. And this leads us into paragraph 2. Let's read paragraph 2 you'll read it straight through and then I'll go back and I I will give uh, mostly we'll just look up the verses there'll be some commentary but some of the verses that we look at are going to be so specific and so pointed <laughs> it's almost like the, uh, the writers took these scriptures and I think they did uh, they, I can't do a better job than the scriptures have I don't have more authority than the scriptures I, don't, I can't put it better I'm going to point you to the Scriptures. Let's look at this second paragraph. The end of God's appointing this day. What did we decide the end was? What does that word mean? It means the point. What's the point of this day? What's God's purpose in appointing this day? That is, for the manifestation of the glory of His mercy. In the eternal salvation of the elect, and I believe it means, and the glory of His justice "...in the eternal damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. For then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. But the wicked who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast aside into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction." From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Strong words. So we see see number one, the goal of the last judgment. And we see the word manifest. This means to make public. Like I mentioned before, God's not learning anything on this day. God already knows. It is to make all these things public. Almost like the book of Revelation, to uncover. To make public. For God's glory in saving the elect. A very uh, uh, well-known scripture is given by the uh, confession of Romans 9, uh, verses 22 through 23. God's glory in saving the elect. I'll just give you what Paul says there. You can turn if you want to. I'm not going to turn. This is in Paul's defense of election. It says... What if God, and get this language, desiring to show His wrath and to make known, the same thing the confession says, to make manifest, His power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath. Now, who is that? That's the reprobate. That's the loss. Somebody that's just going to receive wrath. They're going to hold wrath. They're going to soak up wrath for all of eternity has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. It's like God is is making a, a comparison. He's making a contrast between the horror and the awfulness of his wrath, the severity of his wrath and his judgment of sin and his wonderful mercy, his He's saying, look how glorious this is that I would have mercy on people that have, have sinned. These vessels of mercy are those whom he chose to save. There is no injustice but lots of mercy. When God puts forth mercy on some and puts forth wrath on others, we all deserve the wrath. There is no injustice but there is mercy says also to manifest God's glory in saving the elect. Let's turn to these scriptures, if you don't mind. Titus chapter 3. I don't think this is given by the confession. (laughs) Titus chapter 3, we'll read verses three through seven. This is Paul speaking, and often Paul gives uh, a testimony of how he was and where he came from and what God done for him. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, we will be rewarded, we will be judged. Paul said, "I had sin in my life. God showed mercy on me." He took, he took me away from the wrath. Let's also turn to First Timothy chapter one) <clears throat> We'll read uh, verses 12 through 17. Again, Paul speaking says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith, and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy. This is God's mercy He poured out. I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of The ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Paul attests to the fact that all these things, God carries out his, uh, he pours mercy on those he will save, and he pours judgment on those who will not repent, all for his own glory. On this day, all this will be made manifest. All of it will be shown. Number two. This is the point of this day is revealing God's glory and justice in damnation of the wicked. What the uh, confession calls the reprobate. God's holiness demands that he deal severely with sin. Paul uh, showed this. He, He admitted in the passages we just read. He said, I was chief of sinners. He said, I was insolent. I was an enemy of God and we're no different before we were saved. That is such a contrast. I'm, we get into this very often in the men's meeting. God is so far that way, and we are so far that way, yet He condescended and, and came to us, and He dealt with us because our sin took us that far. God's, demand, God's holiness demands that He deal severely with sin. We see in Habakkuk verses, I mean, chapter 1, verse 13, He says, of God, He says, "...you are of purer eyes than to see evil." And cannot look at wrong, how could an eternal God, if he's going to be in heaven forever and we're going to exist forever, how could he stand to have us in 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 heaven with this sin on us or the influence of sin he can't he can't, he can't deal with sin, he can't stand sin, he cannot tolerate sin, he's too holy. he has to judge it, he has to do with it, he has to deal with it also, in John chapter 16, verse eight, verse eight says. And he when he comes will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Again talking about this day, God is getting glory out of issuing forth justice on those who rejected him. Psalm 37:38 also says, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off when we read the word destroyed. We, some people have taken this, they destroy the scripture like we talk about and they think that people are annihilated. They just eventually, they're nothing. But that's not the language of scripture and it's not what the confession points out. We don't cease to exist. Here this language is talking about punishment. It's, uh, we're being destroyed forever. Never finally destroyed uh, God's influence God can keep us alive, our soul alive, in order to receive punishment. That's God's, God's prerogative. Let's ch- turn to Romans chapter 2 and see another verse about this. We'll read verses 1 through 10 about God's judgment. This is one that gets very uh, specific. It's uh, like the confession took the words right from here, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through 10. Therefore, you have no excuse, old man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, old man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. Very often these scriptures talk about that day, the day. He says here, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. mostly in the Old Testament, can we understand God's wrath? When we see that God thundered from a mountain or that God rained down hail, uh, and He sent pestilence on the Egyptian or that the earth opened up and swallowed live families, uh, it's hard to imagine God's wrath uh, and His fury. We are we're usually afraid of a strong man when he's mad or somebody that's furious in our presence but that's nothing compared to God Uh, he's all powerful Uh, I'm I'm sure we don't understand God's wrath and God's fury fully still the scripture says there will be wrath and fury number three it says the righteous are blessed The scripture that confession confession puts forth is Matthew chapter 25. Let's turn there. We'll read verses 20 through 23. This is the parable of the talents, part of the parable of the talents. These are familiar to us, but it supports uh, what the confession puts forth as the righteous are blessed. It says in verse 20, "...and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more." His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Again, uh, just like we can't imagine God's fury and God's wrath, we can't imagine the joy of heaven. I wish I could uh, describe it. He says, he described it here uh, as the joy of your master. Just the presence of Christ alone is this joy. Uh, we think of happiness. We think of pleasure. I think joy surpasses all that. Uh, I really, I don't have a good uh, reference for it. But he says, in heaven, and we'll see another scripture later, there is unlimited, forever joy also this is very specific to our subject maybe on the same page in your Bible <clears throat> we'll read uh, verses 31 through 46 on this same subject it, this is one that I was talking about it it's pretty much spells out exactly what the uh, confession is saying we'll read starting in verse 31 Jesus had taught of the parable of the talents to describe what the kingdom is like. Then he describes the final judgment. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right Then the righteous, now that tells us right away that people that think that these, they think, I want to go to heaven, I better get to work doing these things. No, you will do these things if you already go into heaven. That's, that's, that's the point here. Because uh, in verse 37 it says, then the righteous, not the ones who are working towards righteousness, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, in the same way, just as, just as certain that the unrighteous will be judged, the reprobate and the rebellious will be judged and cast away from God, it's just as certain. It's just as sealed. It's just as just as certain that the righteous those made righteous by Christ will go to heaven forever. The misuse of these verses equals what we've come, and I, I keep on saying this, is work salvation because it's been so prevalent in our, in our culture and especially in my lifetime. Uh, social gospel teaches this. Uh, do good things and good things will happen. Do good things, minister to other people and you'll be saved. That's not the way it is. More correctly, these works are done by righteous people. They are done by the ones who have had Christ's righteousness put into them. Don't get it backwards. The works do not produce righteousness. They are the result of righteousness. And I point out, when he talks about goats and sheep, that goat has always been a goat. He don't change the sheep and the goats and the goats and the sheep on that day. In God's eyes, from all eternity, He has known which were were goats and which were sheep. Let's look at another scripture that the confession gives. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll read verse 8. This is Paul speaking. Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This points out again uh, the works are not the salvation. The works are the result of the salvation. It also points out this crown. What would Paul want with a crown? This is a crown of glory for Christ himself. Uh, All the glory goes back to Christ himself. He says, I've done nothing for my salvation. And Paul, at the end of his life here, he says, I've been faithful. God knows my heart. And you know my heart. And he, he tells us very plainly that it's... There there will be a righteous judge on that day. And he says he will execute judgment in righteousness. Number four. It says the wicked are banished to hell and torment eternally. Before I forget, <clears throat> if there's any doubt, or when I mentioned earlier about people who think that... Uh, you're annihilated, or your soul ceases to exist, or you're destroyed in hell, or there comes a point where there's no more punishment. Remember, the same language that says that we will dwell forever with Christ, if that's eternal, the same language is used about hell. That is eternal as well. Don't let anybody tell you that the punishment stops, or I guess conversely, that. That we get used to being in heaven and have enjoy eternally, uh, it, it will build and build and build. Uh, punishment will get worse and worse and worse. The text given for this by the confession is found in Mark chapter nine. We'll start uh, verse forty-two. I do that, I back up just a little bit with the scripture just to give a, uh, a little context. We'll read 42 through 48. <clears throat> Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This shows the eternality and the certainty of this punishment. Uh, he uses symbolism here and he mentions a, uh, the worm and the fire. These are just symbols of torment, something that torments your flesh. Forever and ever. We see God's treatment of sin in these verses. Again, another reference that the confession gives is Second Thessalonians chapter 1. This is extremely specific to the subject that we're talking about here. Let's turn to that. We'll read verses 5 through 10. The heading in my Bible says, The Judgment at Christ's Coming. Paul says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Notice this language. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, very specific language, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When He comes, watch, on that day to be glorified, in his saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because your testimony, because our testimony to you was believed. This backs up the first chapter. It talks about that day. It's very specific. It talks about the judge in verse 7, the righteous judge. He talks about in verse 8, those who will be judged. And he also mentions God's glory in 9 and 10. This, uh, Confession is very, very scriptural. I urge you to use it uh, when ministering to other people. Number four, it says this will be away from God's presence. And again, there have been people who will say, "You'll stop suffering eventually. You'll you'll be banished. You'll 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 just disappear. There'll be no there'll be no more. It'll eventually come to an end." That's not true. Uh, they say that. Uh, they take that away and they say, well, the thing that makes hell bad or part of that punishment or or all the punishment is uh, you're away from the presence of God. That is true. That's, that's horrible punishment, but it's together. You're away from the punishment, you're away from the presence of God, and you're also being punished at the same time. It's, it's God's justice. We see in Psalm chapter 16, 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, people who are banished and people who are in hell, all the opposite of this is true. Just use your imagination. Fullness of joy, it'll be fullness of horror, fullness of terror, fullness of pain, fullness of suffering, away from God for eternity. And if you read Psalm 62, verse 11, it says, All this power, God can do this, because all power belongs to God. <clears throat> I couldn't help but think when uh, this, these scriptures led me, and it was talking, some of the people were talking about annihilation, some people were talking about it not lasting forever, and things like that, and uh, away from the presence of God especially that God won't be there. In conclusion, <clears throat> I'd like to point out, when we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it said, the earth was void. There was, that's, that's nothing. We can't even imagine nothing. We, we, I, I tell you to think of nothing, you can't think of nothing. Uh, but that's what it was. There was, there was, no, there was confusion. There was emptiness. There was, There was nothing good going on before God came and before God created. There was empty confusion. There were no things. There was no purpose. There was no hope. Except what? Except God's Spirit hovered over the water. Apart from God's working, God was working. The sinners, that's the way everything was empty that didn't, didn't pertain to people because there were no people. God's Spirit was there. Now, the sinner's future in eternity in hell will be much worse. It'll be dark. It'll be confusion. It'll be despair and pain. But the only work of God in hell will be like I mentioned earlier. His presence won't be there but his power will be there to make that sinner to keep him alive I'm gonna say alive to keep him suffering all that time so that hell does not destroy him so that he so that he suffers forever. that's the difference in how good God is and how bad sin is that's how that's how he he views sin i would uh refer you back to Matthew chapter 25. We read about that day. And there's no way to describe the sobriety, the uh, the seriousness of that day. But when we're there, and we will be there, you can't get away from it. It's appointed. When we're there, and you you see that you're on the left, I can't imagine the horror, the awfulness to see that you're going to fall under God's wrath. That at that point, it's too late. It will happen. People have put it off as a fairy tale for thousands of years. They've neglected it. They've abused it. They've vented it to twist their own devices and they've used it to make money off of, sell books or whatever. They'll be there that day. The people that uh... Just like the scripture we read where God said, I mean, uh, Paul said, the ones who are afflicting you, God will afflict them. We can take comfort knowing that that won't go unpunished. There, There will be justice. When you see little ones and we hear stories about them being abused or neglected or beat, then people will be there And there will also be people, probably some of y'all, who carry out these acts of righteousness. And nobody ever sees it. Nobody knows about it. God knows about it. And in his sight, he knows you're a sheep. You're not a goat. Let's take comfort from that. Let's take caution from that. Let's pray.